0: All right, we are in the middle of a series called Collateral Beauty, in which we are tackling the issues of love and of time and of death. And the next week, we're going to talk about life. Uh, this comes from the movie Collateral Beauty, starring Will Smith. I do not endorse the movie in any way, shape, or form, especially... The theology behind it, okay? Uh, But it does pose these very interesting questions. If you want to watch it, it's a good movie. Just don't buy into the theology they're selling on that one, okay? Um, But it's a good movie. You will cry uh, if you have a heart. Uh, So that's just kind of it was a Christmas movie made to make some money and to make you cry. That was the whole goal of the thing. But it makes you think about these three abstract ideas of love, and of time, and of death. And how we deal with this. It's also very interesting to me as I watch the movie, how you process those abstracts without a Christian worldview. Without any idea of the scripture, without any uh, idea of what Jesus does. And dealing with it, the movie deals with the death of a child with cancer. Of a six-year-old girl. I'm not giving it away. That's what the movie's about, okay? So, uh, (laughs) not a spoiler alert. That's just what the thing is. Uh, uh, That's what the movie deals with. But dealing with, though, that heart-rendering, terrible idea without the hope of Jesus Christ, just as I process all of that, I just went, wow, there's no hope in this movie. And hope is one of these defining features of our walk with Jesus and so as we deal with um, love and as we dealt with time last week, this week we're going to deal with the topic of death. So um, we're kind of skipping the whole Palm Sunday triumphant entry part. We're going to go straight to the cross today. And then uh, next week we get all about the resurrection. The tomb is empty. Woo-hoo! Good stuff next week. OK, today's good stuff, too. It's just you hear death and everybody goes, oh, right. Um, for a Christian, death isn't necessarily a bad thing. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. The main point of today is death is not the end, but just a beginning. And as you read the scripture, if you look, if you are reading Exodus, you're reading Leviticus, you're reading Numbers, you're reading uh, 1 Samuel, you're reading any of the Gospels, you're going to notice this theme of death is not the end, but a beginning over and over and over and over and over and over in the scripture. In a biblical worldview, death does not have the sting it does that it does if you don't have a a biblical worldview. And by that I mean being shaped by the words, the commands, the teachings of God through the scripture. This becomes very evident when you start watching movies like Collateral Beauty and you go, Whoa, there's no there's no there's no hope in this. The only time Jesus is mentioned in that movie is when it's surrounded by a bunch of curse words. Because somehow we went to Jesus and he did not do this transactional thing where I told you what I wanted and you didn't give it to me, you know, casino God. Um, and, and we have to deal with that. This is um, how the world, I think, views God a lot. How maybe even some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of view God. But once we start to have this idea of death is not the end, just a beginning, our whole view starts to change of what this life is, the potential of this life, and what this life can be, and what the next can be. So these truths that we've been talking about are, we long for love, we wish we had more time, we fear death. And so we're going to focus a lot about this fearing death today, and I hope it brings some clarity and some answers to you in some of the situations maybe you find yourself in. But the, the, the topic of collateral beauty, what happened? Collateral beauty, we hear of collateral damage. When something happens, all the other things break around it, right? You ruck your car into a tree, or you, know, you barely hit your... your well, I was in a car wreck. I was in a really bad car wreck uh, out here at, at Burger King. It was with a gas truck in my little red two-door Alero. I really messed up that gas truck. Right, I got hit by the gas truck. It was not my fault. I got T-boned by it. It broke the rear axle of the car, smushed in. If I'm so thankful to God that my kids were not in the back seat because where Bowen sat in that car was now over where Kendall sat in that car. And it just threw me in the other lane. It spun around, Hit a, and I hit a Cadillac. Well, I hit a Cadillac. It wasn't the gas truck that hit the Cadillac. It was my Alero that hit the Cadillac. That's collateral damage, right? Something hit and spun around. Everybody's OK. That gas truck, I'll have you know, is perfectly fine now after. much um, So now I drive a 2003 Avalanche because she wasn't coming back. That. <laughs> but that, that was collateral damage. Collateral beauty is when something interacts with you and happens that the surrounding instead of carnage happening around you, it's beauty that happens around you. What does that mean for our life? What does that look like for us? I think when Jesus enters our life and deals with us on the issues of love and of time and of death, there's not collateral damage. It's collateral beauty. The redeeming factor of Jesus Taking our sin, our shame, our pride, our stuff, our baggage from past, present, and future, and redeeming all of that is great for us. But the collateral beauty surrounding that is that everything around us, as we spin and bump into things in life, beauty is spewed all over the place. I think in our lives, in, in my life, in your life, I think I could deal with a little more collateral beauty instead of collateral damage. And so, as we t- look at these abstracts, let's see what we can do. Even when we think of the worst of the worst, when we think of death, how does this gain this idea of collateral beauty? Death is scary. If we think about it, we talk about it, it's not something we bring up a lot. No one wants to be reminded of their own m- mortality. You guys give me really funny looks. I, I keep on saying in this series, you are one day closer. Today than you were yesterday to death. And everybody's like, oh, I don't want to think about that. It's true, guys. You're all dying. Me too. This body, no matter if I eat kale today or a Big Mac, I'm still dying. So I think I should eat the Big Mac. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for Girl Scout cookies. And it's okay. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Sorry. I digress. That's not even in the notes. Surprising there, eh? But death is scary stuff. When we think about it for ourselves, what does it mean? What does our family do if we're gone? What is uh, the legacy that we leave? What do you leave behind? Did I mean something with my time here? It's even more important. What do you hope for in life after death? Have you ever thought about that? You thought maybe this is just the time... I get my 80 years, my 40 years, my whatever years, and then it's over. I don't fear death. I don't. I don't know if that's because I've been ingrained since such a, a child of there's, this is not all there is. There's more. Life is not, or death is not the end, but just the beginning. I don't fear death. I fear what would happen to my children, but that's what a life insurance policy is for. Right? I fear for Kelly. I shouldn't fear for Kelly. She's got to go. You know, she's got it all figured out. But I fear for Kelly, how she can provide for the kids and all, and all those things. How's college work? But I don't fear like, what would my future look like? What, what does that look like? That's not a fear of mine. And I've been around people that that petrifies them. But I have a security and I have a hope that this isn't all there is. My family has kind of a morbid sense of death. I think that's because we've always been, my mom has almost died so many times in my life. It's kind of like, well, this is the flavor of the month this time. She's almost died when I was five. She almost died when I was 12. Like they, she went, her blood pressure was so low, she went blind because there wasn't enough blood getting to her eyes. So you know, it's a bad day when her brother drove up from southern Indiana. Her brother hasn't come to visit in the hospital. Like, twice her whole life and he drove up for that one um, and he lived like a mile away from the hospital <laughs> in, in Louisville uh, so it's like oh this is really bad yeah that almost happened we've had some little dicey stuff going on here in the last couple of weeks still here in our house um, and and death is just one of those things it's sorrowful but it's also I have a hope for a future my mom um, this is a debate with my father um, But if my mom dies, she wants a kid's carnival at the funeral. This is what she wants. She doesn't want a funeral. She doesn't want any of the whatever. She wants a carnival. Now, you have to understand, if you don't know me and you don't know my mother, my mother is one of the uh, best children's workers in the country. She trains children's pastors how to be better children's pastors. That is her job. That is what she does. Uh, She just finished her 18th book, I think, on children's ministry. So if you don't know, there's a primer on my mom. She's also been sick uh, with rheumatoid arthritis since she was 18 years old. Um, so she's, uh, she was a guinea pig. They invented ibuprofen with her. Like, they were like, here, take this pill. She's like, nope, didn't work. Okay, take this one. Um, that happened. Uh, so when you take ibuprofen, go, go, Tina. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, so, anyway, she went to carnival. I think we're going to bring Barnum and Bailey Circus back to life just for my mom's funeral because this idea of, hey, folks, the pain is gone. Hey, folks, look at this. I can move everything. It's not metal and plastic and and, uh, replace joints. It is good. I can run. Don't weep for me. Have a party. Now, isn't that? That's different. That's a different idea. That's a different viewpoint of death because death is not the end for a Christian, but just a beginning. This idea, you know, it's easy for me to say that right now. When the time comes and I have to say goodbye to my mom, I will be weeping like a baby, all right? So we'll just, he said he was going to have a party. I'm crying too, okay? Um, But death is not an end. It's just a beginning. Funny, the interesting thing is, since there's been life, there has been this issue of death. Ever since the fall of man, there wasn't death in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't one of the first things. God didn't go, hey, you know what? I'm going to create something for it to die. I'm going to create it for life. But when sin enters in, death enters in as well. And so ever since the biting of the whatever fruit that was of knowledge of good and evil, death has entered the picture. And so we have to deal with it It's part of our human hardwiredness. How do we deal with this issue? The disciples with Jesus sitting right there at the last meal are still debating this idea of what is death? Is there life after death? It's a hot-button topic at the time of Jesus. There's two competing major... There's four different uh, sects, the Zealots, the Pharisees, uh, the Essenes, and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees you hear about all the time in the Bible. They're the two most important. Now, you're going to thank Professor Spalding from Anderson University for how to remember the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee. You ready? Get your pen ready. All right. A Pharisee... Believes in the final judgment, believes in life after death. So it's fair, you see. Groan. Got it. Okay. A Sadducee does not believe in life after death. They believe this is all all there is. They just, once you're done here, you're done. So they are, no final judgment. They are sad, you see. All right, you got it? So now, whenever you see Sadducees, you ever see Pharisees in the Bible, you're going to go, hmm. Because I do it, because thank you, Professor Spaulding, for, for uh, teaching me that uh, at Anderson University. So, But that's the major difference between the two, and that's why they're always arguing with each other. Um, and that's why the Pharisees, why Jesus is always like, you're so close to getting it, but you don't, because you're legalistic nutjobs. Um, paraphrase Jared Hauser. Uh, so... <laughs> But that's that's because they they understand, they got this idea of this final judgment, they have the understanding of an afterlife, they have the understanding of all that, but they just miss it in the rules and the regulations, and so that's what drives Jesus so absolutely bonkers, Um, going all through the scripture. So this debate is something that the disciples are having as well. And so he's trying to teach them that death is not the end, it's just a beginning. This is his final stuff he's teaching him in, in at the last, maybe meal they're having together, the last hangout session, the last uh, whatever that would have looked like. John 14, 1-4 Don't let your hearts be troubled. We believe in God and believe you believe in God and believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. It's like, come on. There's a lot of rooms. It's a big, big house. You've sang the song, right? Uh, It's a big house. (laughs) Jimmy's like, no, no, we're not singing it after service is over. Uh, It's a big house and prepared rooms for you. It's a place for you. You're coming with me. This is what he's encouraging his disciples with. How does this all happen? How can Jesus be so secure in life? Or death is not the end, it's just a beginning. How can he be so secure in that? Is because he knows how this works. For restoration to happen, for life to happen, to be restored and redeemed, death has always occurred. This is the way the whole Jewish system is based on. It's, it's been since Moses, and maybe even before that, Of there is a sacrifice to redeem whatever bad thing happened, so that now I can have life. Jesus, on the cross, has built this, this whole thing up, and Jesus is, is coming to say, I am going to be the sacrifice. I will be the redemption. I will be the restoring of your past and present and future. And not just yours, disciples, not just you, people sitting here, but of all of humanity of all time, of past and present and future. I will restore it all. That my death isn't the end, it's just a beginning. That this is critical. The understanding of who Jesus is and how this whole relationship with God works, how it works with you and how it works with me. So, when Jesus, in John chapter 19, verse 30, says this When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In that, He's saying the restoration is fit. This is done. I have completed my work. I've restored. I've said it different. That death doesn't have to be the end anymore. That there is now hope. There is future. There is life. Death is not the end, but it's just a beginning. And the weight of all that was resting on his shoulders. As he struggled for breath on the cross. And he comes to that moment and says it. It's finished. It's done. It's bought. It's paid for. It's completed. And that's how he gives up his life for us. To pay for all the junk in our past, all the stuff in our present, and all the things that will be in our future. It is finished. This idea takes or what Jesus does takes what's been going on in Jewish history and exponentially infinite whatever's big bigger than that math number vocabulary is not very good but lots bigger okay because what's been happening in in the Jewish people is they pay for they do sacrifices to pay for sin that whole system sets up this, this idea Jesus is crucified at Easter at Passover for a reason it's a retelling of the same Jewish story that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. This week at the uh, um, live at the loft, I believe the students are going to be participating in, in kind of the same sort of meal that Jesus would have been having uh, at here at the Last Supper. They're going to participate in that. It's called a Seder meal, and so there's going to be some of those elements. and Kevin's going. I hope. Okay, now I'm, that's what I'm doing on Wednesday night. But that's what's going on uh, Wednesday night. The students are going to participate in part of that. Because this thing has been practiced for thousands and thousands of years, for generation and generation. Why is it so important? Well, Moses says, hey, guys, we're leaving tonight. We're heading out. Pack up your stuff. But before we go, we're having a meal. And what's going to happen is this final plague and it, it, that God's going to bring is he's going to kill the firstborn in every household. And to protect yourselves from that, you're going to take the blood from this lamb that you're going to roast tonight, and you're going to put it on the doorpost of your house, and the, the angel of death will pass over your house and spare you. You will be bought, you will be redeemed, you will be paid for by the blood of this lamb. Okay? And so when Jesus sacrifices himself on the cross, and lets it happen to him. Anytime he has infinite power, he could have been like, nope, not doing it. Right? He does it. He, when, he, when he sacrifices himself on the cross, he says, I'm paying for all those things. And it's not just the Jewish story anymore. It's humanity's story. From death came life. Death of the sacrificial lamb in Exodus. Happened thousands of years before Jesus to life, till redeeming the people so they can spread out and go take over the promised land. Same thing happening here with Jesus, but just for all of humanity. Does this make sense? This is a huge, huge thing to get. Easter's not about Easter eggs and bunnies, right? It is, it's a bloody story, but it's a good story. It's a story of getting out of slavery, whether that's spiritual slavery or actual slavery. Death is not the end. It's just a beginning. This has been the process for the sacrificial system that was built after uh, the Passover. So whenever we did had sin in our lives, if you read the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers or Deuteronomy, you're going to see, well, the sacrifice of a pigeon for this, the sacrifice for some flour for this, the sacrifice for some olive oil for this, the sacrifice of a bull for this, the sacrifice of a goat for this. And this is when you all at the beginning of the year, you all said, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. And you got to Leviticus, and you went, right? Because you got to these sacrifices. Uh, so there's some interesting stuff in there. I'm going to encourage you to read fast, to kick it into the skim, okay? Because it's more important that you, just, you go to the next stuff, because it really gets exciting later, later so don't miss it. Um, but um, even your pastor falls asleep in Deuteronomy, okay? Everyone does. Um, but the important thing, why, what we, we, get, we miss the cultural context of that. We miss why that's so important, because every one of those laws, if you read them, every one of those things is about restoring. And every single one of those sacrifices of a pigeon or a, a little bird or or a sheep or a goat or whatever that is, is the story restoration. It's Jesus acted out in all of those. It is this idea of, I want to restore the relationship with you so that death doesn't have to be the end. It is just a beginning. And it's very interesting that the death of something causes life to be able to happen. The death of that pigeon, the death of that bull, the death of that sheep restores the person so life can Happen. This is the way in which it works. It's the way in which our ecosystem works. God sets up the world to do this way. Think of the hamburger. If you go to Mooyah today after after a church, now you're all like, "Ooh, that sounds good." Okay. Um, if you go to Mooyah, you're going to bite into this nice, beautiful cheeseburger. Get mine with uh, blue cheese crumbles and bacon. It's um, delicious. But you bite into that. A cow had to die so that you could have your meal, right? Death had to happen so that you could have life. You're like, well, Jared, I'm a vegetarian. Well, you just don't like lettuce then. Okay. The lettuce had to die for you to consume it. It is not living anymore. It is. As soon as you cut it off, it is starting to wilt like that. That is just what happens. Trust me. If you have a bag of spinach and you open it up, you leave it in there for a week. It's dead and still a living, right? It dies. It dies, it dies, it dies, it dies, it dies. Death is not the end, but it's just the beginning. It gives you life. And so even for this cow, this cow had to eat grass. Well, it is a mass murder of grass, and it has eaten death. Death has had to happen to give the, the cow life, so then the the cow could die, so we could have life. But if you remember your Thanksgiving stories, remember, you, you think of your... Pilgrims and Native Americans. That w- what I don't know if you guys ever had these stories, but I had these stories that the the Native Americans taught the pilgrims to dig a hole. What are they supposed to do? Throw a dead fish in the ground and throw some corn in it, and then that will make the corn grow better. From dead things comes life on the very basic needs. If you deal with a compost pile, what is a compost pile? It's a bunch of dead junk, but it makes your garden grow. Explode with life. Death is not the end; it's just a beginning. This is how God He show He does the Christ play, the Christ idea of redemption that that the sacrifice brings life over and over and over again. He does it in the mundane. He does it in the daily. He does it in things that we overlook. But he does it over and over and over and over again. He teaches us all the time. If we just observe nature, that death is not the end. It's just a beginning. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then the disciples said to Jesus, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. See, it's not just an eternal issue, it is a daily issue of dying to oneself so that we may have a life of life. Death is not the end, it's just a beginning. This happens over and over and over and over again. That Jesus's redemptive act is is, is encapsulated in this idea of, I will die, I will take on the sins of the world so that you may live, that all people may have an opportunity for eternal life. But then this gets broken down even more so for us on how we live our daily lives. Who are you? You need to deny yourself. And follow me. What does that look like? What does denying ourselves look like? It looks like dying to oneself. That doesn't sound fun, does it? But this is what it is. Dying to oneself is putting down our pride so that we may have life. Dying to oneself is, is killing off the guilt and the shame and the pride and the, and the stuff of our lives so that we can really live. This is one of the hallmarks of of what Christianity does. When we start to die to oneself, the death of our of our junk in our life doesn't mean that we don't get that Jared doesn't have a personality anymore. It means I actually get to live the life I was always meant to. And for some of us, this is where we have a really hard sticking point. We have a have a hard time letting go of the stuff in our life. We have a hard time letting go of the good stuff in our life, but we have a hard time letting go of the bad stuff in our life. So often we we let the guilt we have carried control us. But what changes when we let the guilt we have carried die? What happens when we let the shame we have carried die? That we let it go? Because there's things in my life that that... I really believe when spiritual warfare is attacking me that, and I'm struggling with that I'm, I'm dealing with, that things happened that I did when I was 10, 12, 14 years old, things I said, how I shot my mouth off, the shame of it starts to come back onto my shoulders. Maybe there's stuff. Uh, you'll be good for years. And all of a sudden the shame of something that happened to you or that was done to you or that you did comes creeping back. And what that is, is yourself, your own, you revisiting your past mistakes. Jesus says, listen, listen, let all that stuff just die. Let it go. Get rid of it. When you let that stuff die, you can start living. We also need to let the fear we have carried die. Fear shouldn't have a place in our life if death no longer holds a grip on us how we live. This morning, some of our Christian brothers and sisters were killed in Egypt. They were killed for going to church. And I hope that that those people going to church weren't fearing death that morning. We can know without a shadow of a doubt they are in a better place right now. They are they're not going, oh, I wish I still was in Egypt. They're going, I get to party with Jesus? Okay, I'll take that upgrade. But their example of, I'm going to let that go because I'm not going to fear death anymore. Death is not the end. It's just a beginning. For you in your life, for you and how you deal with things, for how you process stuff, how you how you deal with your own baggage, some of us need to say, you know what, I'm going to let that die. Others of us have grudges, have uh, issues, have pride that we go over, and we are like EMTs for it. We keep on doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. We will put on a life support. We will do whatever it takes because we want those grudges to come back to life. And we've put them to death, and we've gotten rid of them, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. It's real clear. And maybe this Easter, maybe this time is when you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to put that stuff away. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to let it go away because death doesn't have to be the end of me. I'm not going to lose who Jared is. If I totally become a Christian, God wired me in a certain way. He made this person. What he's asking for the death of is all the junk that doesn't need to be added. Death is not the end. It is just a beginning. Our response to what Jesus does with our sin, with our past, with our present, and with our future changes how we're going to live the rest of our life and how we're going to live in eternity. How we deal with the issue. Do you, are you f- afraid to die? The answer to that question could be, no, I'm not. I hope you understand how liberating that can be, how the weight on your shoulders can just fall off, when you're no longer afraid of death, when that is not something that, that hurts you or haunts you, the death is not the end. It's just a beginning. This idea, this freedom is offered to you today. And if it's something you'd like to step into, if it just sounds like I want that kind of freedom, I want that kind of life, I want to step into that, I want you to pray with me this morning. Bow your heads with me, folks. Jesus, take this life. Jesus, I ask you to take my pride and take my sin and take my shame and take my fear. Take this life and give me eternity. Lord, I thank you for what you've done on the cross. I thank you what you do in my life. I thank you that you take all my shame and you take the baggage of my life got right here. And right now I want to make you Lord of my life. That from this day forward, I deny myself and chase after you. I don't have to have these things with me. I want to be your person. I want to have eternal life and I want to have better life here. Thank you, Lord, for your redemption of my life. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for sacrificing so I no longer have to live a life of fear. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.